remember uh, several years ago, uh, I worked for just an amazing man. He's still a really good friend of mine. And uh, I'd been working for him about two years at, at this point in my life. I'd worked for about two years. He had a couple of young kids. And uh, he had left for a business trip one morning. And he heads off to this business trip. And a few minutes after landing, he's standing there at the baggage claim. I don't know if you've ever flown before, but you're standing there at the baggage claim watching your uh, luggage just be utterly abused. You know? And he's sitting there waiting for his luggage to come out. And he gets this phone call from his wife. And uh, he picks up the phone and... He could just hear just the instant panic in her voice, just immediately. And she says, she says, hey, our son is missing. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to have gotten that phone call, to just the, the feeling to wash over you. Like, what do you mean he's missing? They didn't have any details. They didn't know if he had wandered off and gotten lost. They didn't know if he had been kidnapped. He's a young kid. You know, they, they, they had no idea. He didn't have a cell phone. You know, just a little kid. And so he's just panicked. He, he grabs his luggage off of the conveyor belt. He runs upstairs to the place, the ticketing counter. He's like, I've got to get back on a flight. I've got to get back to Nashville as soon as possible. Uh, you don't know my friend, but he's a really pretty large kind of like, you know, uh, just a large presence. He shows up at this ticketing counter filled with the fear and the rage of a father whose son has gone missing. And he looks at this poor guy who's working behind the ticketing counter <laughs> like his first year on the job, and he looks at my buddy, my buddy says, I've got to get on the next flight to Nashville, and he says, sir, I'm sorry, there's no, there's no seats on the next flight to Nashville. And my, my friend looked at him, he said, hey, I, I'm not threatening you, at least not yet, he said, but he said, here's the deal, I will be on the next flight to, to Nashville. He said, I don't care if I'm standing on the flight, laying on the flight, serving peanuts and drinks on the flight. He said, I don't care if I have to remove somebody from the flight. He says, I am going to be on the flight, and it would be good for me, and it would be really good for you if you'd help me get on the flight in the name of Jesus. <laughs> love all is good. He said, and I would love it if you'd let me pay to get on the flight, but I've got to get on the flight. And after a little bit of arguing, the guy finally let him on the flight. He gets on the flight. This is years ago before every flight had Wi-Fi. He gets on the plane. He loses cell reception. He begins to tell himself, okay, it's going to be okay. We'll land. They will have found him. Everything's going to be okay. The, 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 the plane lands. He turns on his phone immediately, and his son is still missing. He just talked about the longest stretch of time in his life was that moment where the plane was taxiing back to the terminal to be so close and yet like so far away. And the story ends really good. You can breathe. like You can exhale. Like about 45 minutes after landing, they find his son. You know, he hadn't been taken. He had wandered off and gotten scared and didn't know how to find his way home. Tried to get home and went in the wrong direction, like seven miles. Little kid. And calls his dad from a payphone. And just, just the joy of my friend, like hearing that his son had been found, like rushing across the island, going, going, going to pick up his son. And I, I thought of that story this, this week. And I, I called my buddy and I'm like, man, tell me. And he's telling me and he's you know, in a fresh way, just being reminded of both the joy and the pain of that day. And I start telling him what it was like to be on the ground because, you know, he just remembers his side of the story. And I said, man, it was amazing. That day your son went missing, everything shut down. Like our office shut down. Like there were no more strategic planning meetings. No, nobody went to a lunch meeting. Like no, nobody was, you know, clearing out their inbox. It's like all of a sudden everything was put in perspective because somebody that we loved had been missing. And he's like, I had no idea that was going on. I'm like, man, we were searching like crazy. Things shut down for four or five hours. We were looking for your son. Because when a kid goes missing, normal people go looking. That's what happens, right? When a kid goes missing, normal people go looking. I think about being on vacation last year with our family at the beach. 
And this aunt, or if you grew up in the North, this aunt, whatever you would say, she comes up because her nephew had gone missing. And he was wearing similar color shorts to my youngest son Judah's shorts. And she came up there looking, and all of a sudden, just these strangers on the beach. I mean, you, you shut things down until we found that little boy. Why? Because when, when a kid goes missing, normal people do what? They go looking. They go looking. I remember being 11 years old, and my family, we were in Disney World. And uh, uh, my sister, who's four years younger than me, she is seven, and my parents said, yeah, you guys can go ride a few rides by yourself, which felt big. And I was like, awesome. Like, yes, we can go ride some rides. We had responsibility. And I remember, I kid you not, we're on the very first ride. Uh, we're at Typhoon Lagoon, if we want to get technical. It's owned by Disney. But we're there at Typhoon Lagoon. We're, we're there on the very first ride, and my sister and I get separated, and I lose her for an hour and a half. Now, I don't know when my prayer life begun. It may have been that day. I was praying like, God, bring her home, like bring her home for her sake and for my sake. Because man, hell hath no fury like a mother whose oldest son has lost his little sister in Disney World. And I mean, we're just praying. And if you want to see the power of a stay-at-home mom, watch her shut down a place like Disney World looking for her, for her daughter. Because I watched my mom do it. Because when kids go missing, normal people go what? Go looking. That's what happens. That's what happens. And I love this thing that happens after the resurrection of Jesus. All of a sudden, the people of God were unleashed on this search and rescue mission. And it wasn't a religious search and rescue mission. <laughs> they weren't filling a quota. They weren't filling buildings. They weren't trying to meet budget. They weren't trying to make themselves feel better. But all of a sudden, they realized that the most important thing to God, which are human beings, had gone missing from the family of God. And the people were unleashed to go looking. Because when children go missing, normal people go, go looking, go looking. And I love this, this moment in Luke chapter 15. Look at this in verse 1 and 2 with me. It starts like this. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, I won't stop too long here, but I want you to hear this. The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Here's one of my favorite things about Jesus is that the most unlikely people were the ones that liked Jesus most. The people that didn't fit in at church, the people that had been abused by their pastors or their priests, the people that had been hurt by their parents, the people that had been judged by their friends and the religious institutions, the ones that felt like they were on the outside of religion, felt like they were on the inside of the party when Jesus was there. Have you ever noticed that? And I love this. It says that all of the misfits, the outsiders, they felt at home around Jesus. And they're all gathering around to hear him talk and teach. And it keeps going, verse 2. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the people that felt at home in religion. These are the people like me. These are the people like some of you. People that grew up knowing the, knowing the rules and how things should work. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered to themselves, this man welcomes sinners. And he even eats with them. In other words, they were frustrated by the reality that Jesus' inner circle was made up of people that looked like an absolute mess. And look what Jesus says at the end of verse two. It says, so Jesus looked at them and he told them a parable or a story. 
Like, I don't know if, let's just pretend you were God for a minute. Okay, some of us really have to stretch our imagination to get there. I don't know how you would have reacted in this moment. Like, all of these lost sons and daughters are gathered around you. And the ones that should have gotten it are sitting over there in the corner going, why are they there? You know, this would have been an epic moment for Jesus to brought down fire from heaven, <laughs> for Jesus to have sent a plague through the religious crowd. But he doesn't. He looks at him, and what does he do? He tells them three stories. And I love this because Jesus knew that a story has a way of working its way into the heart and doing far more than uh, a little bit of punishment ever could. That the story would turn things over. And Jesus is going to tell them three stories here, okay? And he's going to tell them the story about a missing sheep, about a missing coin, and about two missing brothers, okay? And here's what I want you to notice, is that none of these stories are actually about sheep, coins, and random brothers. Jesus says, I'm, I'm telling you a story to help you understand what is going on with humanity. I mean, what we experienced this morning that we prayed about, what's going on with humanity, and what heaven is in the business of doing right now, and how you can get in on it. And so Jesus tells these stories, so we'll find ourselves in it. Look at verse four with me, the first story about the missing sheep. He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and you lose his one. Doesn't a good shepherd leave the 99 sheep in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he brings it home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you the truth, in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven. When one sinner repents, over 99 righteous people who think they don't need to repent. So I love this picture. Jesus says, do you want to know what God's heart is really like? God gets really pumped. He gets really excited. He throws the party when the kid is found that's been missing. That's what he gets excited about. Tells the story of a missing sheep. Jesus looks out at the crowd and he says, okay, maybe that sheep story didn't scratch the itch. Maybe that didn't do it for you. He says, let me tell you another story. He says, okay, I'll tell you a story about a coin, okay? He tells this story. Look at this, verse 8. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep out the house and search carefully until she finds it? Now, if you're like me, an American, you're hearing this story, you're going, okay, who loses a quarter and cleans out the whole house? It's kind of a weird story, right? Like, but it's not talking about losing a quarter. Um, this is probably a part of her dowry price, 10 coins. It'd be like a, a woman losing her engagement ring, pretty big deal. This woman loses something that really matters to her. I love the way the story keeps going. And when she finds it, verse nine, she calls her friends and neighbors together and she says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who comes home, who repents. Jesus says, this is what heaven's like. When a kid goes missing, normal people go, help me out. They go looking. It's what heaven's doing. Heaven's looking. Jesus says it's like a missing sheep. It's like a missing engagement ring or a coin. He says, oh, that doesn't do it for you. He says, okay, let's, let's bring it into the human realm. He says, let me tell you about two missing brothers. It keeps going like this. Verse 11. This is kind of a long story, but I want you to stick with me. Jesus continued, there's a man who had two sons. And the younger son came to his father and said, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, this is a really offensive thing. It would it'd be like a son coming to his dad saying, hey, listen, you're worth more to me dead than you are alive. Can we just get on with this? I want your stuff, not your friendship. Would you just give me what I'll get the day that you die and we can both go our separate ways? Really hurtful statement. But listen to what the father does. It says, so he divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, 
The younger son, together, took everything that he had. He set off for a distant country, and he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the food they were eating, but no one would give him anything. Verse 17, but then he came to his senses. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. He came to his senses. Some of you have had one of those moments, you know, that, 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 that space in between your rebellious decision to sin and the moment when that decision catches up with you, the space between your sin and your punishment is a thing called pleasure. Because have you ever noticed that sin is always fun for a season? It's why we do it. It's why we do it. We don't talk about that enough. This guy's having a really great time for a season. But all of a sudden, it begins to expose itself for the counterfeit joy that it is. And in verse 17, it says, he comes to his senses. He begins to recognize it is, it is what it is. And he says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. I will go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your servants. Have you ever done that before where you screwed something up, maybe with your parents or maybe with a spouse or a friend, and you start rehearsing the speech that you're going to say when you see them? Hey, when I see them, here's how I'm going to say it. Here's the shirt I'm going to wear because I look good in that shirt. You know, like, here's the way I'm going to come at the angle. And he, he begins rehearsing this, this speech, and he says the same thing that so many of you have prayed or at least that you've thought before. You know, you've messed things up, and you go, okay, God can never take me all the way back in, but maybe he could take me back in on the fringes. Like, I'll never be on the varsity team in the kingdom of God, but maybe he'll let me be the water boy. It's just kind of the, the mindset that the son has. And you've been there, I've been there probably. We've all been there. I love this, verse 20. So he got up, the speech is in his mind. He's ready. He got up and he went to his father. I love this, listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And then the son starts the speech, verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, I just imagine he just puts his finger on the boy's lips. He's like, shut up. <laughs> He's like, quit talking. I don't know if you ever imagine God telling you to shut up, but sometimes he does. He says, shut up. He says, quit talking. I don't want to hear your speech. I love this. The father said to one of his servants, verse 22, quick, bring out the best robe, put it on my son, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. But meanwhile, the older son, the older brother was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. I mean, a party was going on. I mean, I want you to imagine this, not like a church party, not like a well-put-together, everybody's-behaving-themselves party. I mean, somebody was probably sinning at this party. You know, they, they needed to get forgiveness later. I mean, they're just so excited. They're just burning it down, like things are going good. The son hears this in the field. So he called one of the servants together, verse 26, and he said, what's going on? They said, your brother, the one that was missing, has come home, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's back safe and sound. And the older brother, listen to this, became angry. He refused to go into the party, so the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, 
who has squandered your property with prostitutes. Notice, we're never told that he went off with prostitutes. That's probably what the older brother would have done if he left. That's what he imagined. He squandered with prostitutes. He comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father replied, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. The one who was lost is found. Jesus says, I want to tell you what God's like. And I want to tell you what people are like. He says, and I want to tell you how this all works together. He says, he says people are really good at getting lost. He says, in fact, that's what you're best at. Jesus looks out at this crowd. He says, he says, people are so good at, spiritually speaking, finding their way out of the Father's house. He says, there's all sorts of ways that people go missing. He says, some people, they're like my, my friend's son. They're like the sheep who just kind of wandered away. They didn't mean to end up away from God. They didn't mean to get away from everything that they knew to be good and right. But like a sheep that just kind of had their head down, just eating grass day after day after day after day, they woke up one day and they realized, man, the shepherd is nowhere to be found. And this is some of your stories. You know, some of you, it, you didn't mean to go missing, but you went off to college and you got locked in with that major and that internship and you got the job and you got the family or you got the friend group or you got whatever, you got the career and you woke up in your late 20s or in your mid-30s or in your late 50s or 60s or 70s. And you look back on your life and you just had one of those moments where you went, man, how did I get here? Like, how did I end up here? How did I end up so far from God? And, and I, I love this picture. Jesus says, humanity is really good at getting lost. Humanity is really good at walking away from God. He says, but sometimes they get lost like a sheep. And it wasn't this choice of rebellion it was just this gradual wandering until you found yourself in the distant country. He says, some get lost like a sheep. He says, some get lost like a coin. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but coins don't lose themselves. Coins don't have legs. You know, the coin didn't wake up that morning with a drinking habit. The, the coin didn't wake up that morning and decide to, you know, flip the middle finger to its owner. The coin got lost because somebody lost it. Because somebody dropped it. And Jesus says, this is how some of us end up far away from God. You get abused when you're young by that person that you trusted. Lots of us here have experienced abuse. You get dropped by that person that you saw as a spiritual authority. And they did that thing, they said that thing, they acted in a way that just hurt you. And without even meaning to, their life went on and it's like you were a coin left in the corner. And Jesus looks out and he says, some of you get lost that way. Not because you wandered off, but because somebody hurts you. Somebody drops you. He says, some of you get lost like a younger brother. You're the rebel. Is this some of your stories? You knew the moment you left your parents' house. You know the moment you left that uh, roommate situation with the friends that held you accountable. You knew the moment that you saw the open country that you were going for it. You know, I grew up in the city, and so most of my life, our family, we had a dog, and, and we learned that there was typically a big difference between city dogs and country dogs. This is a bit of a stereotype, and I know we're, we're big into our dogs these days, and so don't let me offend you when I talk about your dog, but typically there's a difference between a city dog and a country dog, at least in our house. You know, my city dog was always looking for the opportunity out. The moment the door was open, 
boom, that dog was gone. If we left the gate like halfway cracked open, that dog had a, a little shimmy, you know, getting, getting out of the gate, climbing over the fence, digging a hole. Dog would be gone for hours. We're like, what's wrong with this dog? Like, like we had to put a leash on it with its name on it, its address so it would come home so people would bring it home because the dog left so often. My grandparents, they lived in the country and their dogs are the exact opposite. Have you ever seen a country dog? No fences, no borders. Where's that country dog? That country dog is right by the house. Why? Because that country dog has been out in the woods, out in the wild. They've seen what's out there. And they know all the good stuff's in the master's house. See, some of you are like city dogs your whole life. You're convinced. You've bought the first lie ever, ever, ever spoken by the enemy in the garden. And that is that God's keeping you from the good stuff out there. And the moment the door's open, boom. Some of us run. Some of us are dropped. Some of us wander. And some of us are like the older brother we end up missing even though we never left the Father's house. I remember years ago being on vacation. Some of our friends have a beach house that they let us borrow, and they're great friends. If any of you want to be friends like that to us as well, we'd receive that sort of friendship. <laughs> but uh, you can find me later. I'll be up here. Come find me, and you can tell me about it. But um, we're, we're there uh, on vacation, and uh, Sydney had to come down a day later, so I was there. Um, we just had two sons at, the, at, at that point, and uh, my youngest son was one... Did we already have three kids? I was pregnant. Oh, okay. My wife just corrected me. If you're wondering who the one, the, some random woman rebuked him and said she was carrying his baby. This is my wife that I'm in covenant with that was carrying my child, okay? Scandal. She was at home doing the responsible thing. I was getting an extra day in at the beach, and, um, and uh, we, were there, we were there, and, and my youngest son, I can't find him anywhere. And I'm like, two minutes go by, I'm like, it's cool. Three minutes go by, 10 minutes go by. I'm like, oh my goodness, I just had two kids. One of them can barely walk and I've lost them. What have I done? And I find him, he's literally in the elevator to the house, just got in. He was in the house the whole time. Just couldn't find him. Just couldn't find him. And I love, I love this part of the story. Jesus says, do you realize it's possible to spend your whole life in church and still be missing. To spend your whole life in close proximity to God and still have no idea what God is like. Do you notice the way the older brother talked to the father? He said, all these years I slaved for you. The father's like, who asked you to slave for me? All I wanted was a little goat. The father says, you had everything I owned. <laughs> Why'd you just want a goat? It's possible to never leave the house and still be missing. And Jesus says, here's the truth about humanity. Humanity is really good at getting lost. Whether you wandered, whether you're dropped, whether you ran, or whether you're stuck there in your own self-righteousness. But here's the good news. God is better at finding you than you are at hiding from him. And every time he finds someone, he throws the party. He throws the party. He celebrates. And I was just struck this week. You know, there's so many angles. I, I, wish, I wish we could talk about this, you know, for another five hours. Don't worry, we won't. There's so many parts of the story, but this, this one aspect of the story that hit me this week that's never hit me before is that 
in each of the stories, with the missing sheep and the missing coin and the missing brothers, the only one who goes looking is Jesus. The only one that goes searching is Jesus. In every story, there's a whole crew of people ready to celebrate that someone's been found. The shepherds are there ready to celebrate. The friends are there ready to celebrate with the woman that the ring has been found. Uh, The the friends are there ready to celebrate that the son has come home. But I went, man, where were the other shepherds? Where were the friends when the kids went missing? Think about my friend from earlier whose son went missing. I can't imagine what it would have been like if he got back in Nashville. And he said, hey, man, when my son was gone, what were you doing? Man, we're holding down the fort. We're filling out the reports. We held our meetings. We had our strategic planning. I go, can you imagine what it would have been like if we would have said, hey, we knew your kid was missing, but we did nothing about it. It would have been devastating to our friendship and probably to our long-term employment status at that place. Earlier this year, uh, when our church took 30 days to pray and fast, and God kept putting this story in my heart over and over and over. And, and, and the Holy Spirit just kept impressing upon me the state of Christianity in America. And he's, he, he, God just kept showing me this image over and over and over. He says, Dave, your city is filled with missing children, and so few in the church care about it. Our buildings are full, our budgets are met, our calendars are crammed and busy, and after all, who has time for it? But when a kid goes missing, normal people go The question is, are we normal? Spiritually speaking, are we normal? I've got three boys. And if my youngest son Judah went missing, I would never go, well, at least I've got two. You know, that's pretty good stats. Two out of three. The goal of parenting is not to just hold on to two out of three. Now, if one of my kids goes missing, you just found my new job description. For the rest of my life, that's all I'm doing. I'm looking for that kid. There are missing, spiritual missing children all over the city, and I believe the Lord is asking Ethos Church, will you dare enough to be normal? Will you dare enough to be normal? (laughs) Will we dare enough to care about your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and your spouse? And will we not just be there at the celebration party, but will we join the rescue party? Will we go searching? Will we go looking? Will we use our lives to love people into the kingdom of God? And I go, for some of you, a simple, a simple action step today is maybe you just need to start asking that God would give you the eyes to see the people of our city the way that he sees them. Because the moment we begin to see them as missing children whom God the Father has come to earth to rescue, man, everything changes. Some of you, it's just praying, God, would you restore? Would you renew? Would you stir something up in me? Some of you are here this this morning, and maybe you're not followers of Jesus. You're not walking with Jesus. And I'm not sure how it is that you ended up missing. I don't know if you wandered off. I don't know if you were dropped and wounded. I don't know if you rebelled. I don't know if you've been sitting in religion your whole life, but you still feel this distance between you and God. If you're missing this morning, here's what I want you to hear. I want you to see this over and over in the story. Is that every time the kid came home, there was no finger pointing. There were no I told you so's. There were no layers of guilt. There was what? There were parties. 
There are parties. And the moment you turn your heart back to Jesus, heaven celebrates. Some of you are here this morning going, I don't know if that's me. I don't even know what to do with that. There'll be some men and women up here at the Respond Banner. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, and help you figure out what does it look like to come to your senses, to come back to the Father's house, to return. And Jesus looks out at the crowd, people just like us, and he says, let me tell you some stories. This is what heaven's like. This is what humanity's like. And we dare enough to be normal. And this is why we give our time the way we give our time as a church. It's the reason we give our talents the way we give it. It's the reason we took that collection a few minutes ago. Because we believe in a culture like ours filled with so much brokenness and pain. God's not looking for us to go out there and be the Savior. There's one Savior. His name is Jesus. I believe he's just looking for some more people like us to join the search and rescue party. To join the mission. And, and, and so together saying, hey God, would you raise us up and would you send us out for the sake of of your children that are missing. And that's the mission. That's what it means for us to be about this thing that God has called us into. Let's stand together. I want to pray over you. And then we're going to go take communion together. And then we're going to go to the respond banner and receive prayer, if you want to receive prayer. Uh, Father, I love you. God, I thank you that you have called so many of us back into your house. Uh, Father, I'm convinced that found people turn around and find people. And God, so many of us have been found by your grace and your love, and I pray that you would just send us back out and help us to join the search and rescue party and help find and to bring others home. God, I pray that you stir us up with our time, with our talents, and with our treasure, and God, help us to leverage what we have for the search and rescue mission that you're sending us on. God, for those that are in our midst this morning, and they still feel like they're missing, that they haven't come home, God, would you just give them the courage to pray with somebody, to turn their life to you this morning, to, to be baptized, to be filled with your spirit, to be in walking with you, God. I love you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks and go we say, amen.